I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a lot of fun to rip out the underlying assumptions on anything, right? (laughs) I mean, I think that's where a lot of great innovation happens. A lot of great thinking happens when you say, why are we all assuming that is always true? Why are we assuming that's always the case? You know, one of the best examples of that kind of innovative thinking is like an Uber where someone says, okay, I just want to get from point A to point B. Why do I need this taxi infrastructure to let someone drive me from point A to point B? Now, Before phones, that infrastructure was necessary. That's the only reason why you felt safe getting in a stranger's car and saying, take me to point A or point B, and feeling pretty confident that they wouldn't murder you on the way uh, because it was a lot of work to get that license. It was a lot of invested time and energy, uh, sunk costs if you are an economist, to getting that license. And therefore, that license, that hack license, was so valuable they would not do anything silly to jeopardize it. Would they overbill you a little bit? Would they take a slightly long route? Maybe. Would they murder you? Probably not. And of course, here comes technology to say, well, what if you don't really need that license? I mean, everybody knows how to drive and almost everybody has a car, so why can't you just tap into that? It it just pulls out the rug from the underlying understandings and assumptions of what the thing is. So what's one of the big assumptions when we come to recruiting? Well, it's an assumption to a lot of people, not everybody. We're going to talk about why in a second. But it's this idea that we have a functionally unlimited talent pool. Some of you are about to object. You're saying, no, no, no. I don't think there's an unlimited talent pool. I know, you know, there's only so many data scientists in the world. There's only so many nurses in the world. There's so many electricians in the world. I, I can't, they're not, you know, we're only making new ones ever so slowly. So there aren't a million. There aren't infinite levels, infinite numbers of those people. Well, I, I wonder then if you really thought that, why do you treat your candidates like they are? Why do you throw them away so quickly? Why do you dismiss them? Why do you, and as we've talked about in previous podcasts, why do you dismiss them angrily and make them all, you know, 99% of them grumpy because you didn't treat them well because they weren't exactly what you were looking for? So you might say that you treat them as finite resources, but the way you act doesn't suggest, and I, I apologize if I, I mean the editorial we or the editorial you, right? The generic you are doing that. I don't know about you personally. I don't know how you live your life. But that's what we want to talk about because in certain circumstances, there's a very finite talent pool. There's a very finite set of people you can reach out to. Uh, and sometimes it's veterinarians. Sometimes it's people with Um, security backgrounds or security clearances rather. Uh, There's any number of very, very limited finite pools of talent such that it's small enough that you can actually wrap your hands around it. You can say, oh, there's only 5,500 of those people, whatever those people are. Well, how does that impact? How do you you know, how do you recruit? How do you, how do you attract them? How do you engage with them? How do you treat them? How do you work an employer brand to a finite resource? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We'll be right back. Welcome to the TalentCast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis, and I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. 
and I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis recording live from Chicago. Uh, I got the window open. It is a gorgeous day. I have spent uh, a good piece of my morning going grocery shopping. Um, I don't own a car, so that means schlepping a lot of things by hand down, you know, about a half a mile from the grocery stores. And people are still not figuring out this whole, I got to wear a mask and keep six feet apart thing. So a little grumpy about that. Come on, everybody. Be better. Anyway. Uh, obviously the housekeeping stuff is you should definitely subscribe to my newsletter. It's a whole different thing than what you're hearing here. So if you like what we're doing here, you're going to love what we do in the newsletter, mostly because it's not about me, um, if nothing else. So go to employerbrand.news or click the link in the show notes. Otherwise, if you want to grab 15 minutes of my time just to talk, just to ask me questions, just to bounce ideas off me, I have open office hours also in the show notes. Just click the link. Uh, dozens of people have done it already and Gosh, they seem to enjoy the process, so why wouldn't you? I do not know. Anyway, let's talk about finite t- pools of talent. Truly, and I, 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 even when we know that there's only so many nurses or only so many people with security clearances, so much of what we do is so commoditized. It is taking a process designed for an unlimited talent pool and applying it to a very, very select group of people and assuming that the th- rules don't change, right? That this idea that, oh, no, well, we can always find more. We can always make more. Oh, if that one didn't pan out, I'll just go to the next one, assuming there's always going to be a next one. And that next one is going to be a fresh one a clean blank sheet of paper, someone we've never engaged with where all of our bad habits are not known to them yet. Maybe they don't understand uh, what people are saying about us on various rating sites or uh, what our consumer brand is because they don't buy that thing or whatever. Maybe they're on the other side of the country so they don't know that your hospital had a scandal or that somebody did something they should not have done and it made the news. They don't know yet. They're a clean sheet of paper so you can push onto them whatever message you want. And while that's probably true for a lot of recruiters and a lot of employer branding and a lot of talent acquisition in the broadest sense of the word, it's not always true. In fact, in a lot of times, there are very, very, very limited, finite numbers of people who do it. Let's take our own industry for a moment, case in point, employer brand professionals. How many of us do you think there are? A couple thousand? Now, while I believe, and I don't have the data, if anybody works at LinkedIn wants to go ahead and check this data, you would have the data better than I would. How many people are claiming or putting employer brand in their title? I bet it's been a two or threefold growth over the last three years. That's where my number is. I think it's about a threefold growth uh, somewhere in there. It's just been huge. It's been absolutely massive. Three years ago, um, no one understood what this was, and we were a select community of people in the know who barely even knew others, and that's why it was so much fun to find Facebook groups and, and communities and, and conferences that were all about this thing to realize, oh, I'm not the only one, right? That was, for many of you, you've had those moments of, oh, wow, there are other people just like me. And some people just 
I don't know, for whatever reason, it's in Harvard Business Review or wherever people learn about these things. It's a relatively-ish, and I don't want to stand on the word relatively here, relatively hotter job title. People are saying, yeah, I want to get an employer brand. They see it as an alternative to recruiting for whatever reason. It's not. It's completely different. I mean, I understand why people go from recruiting to it, but completely different things, and we all know that. Um, We all know each other. I'm always stunned when I find someone who is a uh, an employer brand practitioner who has been doing it for more than a year or two um, at a, a solid level, not just someone brand new to the space. And I'm like, how are we not connected? How are we not friends? How have we not, you know, complained about the stuff that we complained about? How are we not, you know, connected? And, and we all talk about in the groups, hey, by the way, this new job got posted. This new opening is here. Um, there have been instances where some recruiter reached out to me and I had a little conversation with them and it was a perfectly lovely conversation. And I was told I would be talking to the next person and suddenly they got I got ghosted and eventually I got a generic email saying thanks but no thanks with no information whatsoever despite the fact that I gave my time and let's be fair I'm not a 12 year old kid and I have experience and hey just give me the hey this is what happened this is why we're going someplace else that's perfectly fine and so I started to hear that that recruiter was reaching out to about 10 other people in a forum. And I said, hey, by the way, this is what happened in my experience with that recruiter at that company about this job. And I bet that impacted that recruiter's ability to hire. When you all know each other, when there's a finite pool of people who do whatever, they tend to talk to each other. Why? Because no one likes to be alone. (laughs) If quarantine has taught us nothing, no one likes to be alone for too long. If, you're, if you do something, you want to talk to more people who do that thing, which consequently leads to a community of people who do that thing. And communities are great at doing one simple thing, and that is communicating with each other. So if you are reaching out to a talent pool and you know there's only 5,000 of them or 6,000 of them, your strategy must change because the way you reach out to I don't know, pick lots of other job titles where there seems to be thousands and thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who do that job, you have to change your strategy up a bit, right? There's probably a million lawyers in this country. There's probably a million salespeople in this country. There's probably, and this is the US, so just limiting focus, but your mileage will be roughly the same. Um, There's probably a million people in, I don't know, you think there's a million people in HR? You think there are a million people in, I don't know, uh, probably not in product design, but maybe in coding, maybe it's just straight up front end coding, uh, front stack coding, right? There's, there's probably a million people who do that. Not to mention the fact there's probably a million nurse practitioners or nurses. There's probably a million um, electricians assistants or sales, uh, you know, um, not inside sales, but more, people who run storefronts, people who run point of sale systems. There's probably a million people who do that. And when you talk about a million, that's a massive pool. It's very hard to run out of people. You would have to be one hell of a recruiter with a hell of a spam gun to really reach and annoy all those people. Even if they kind of sort of engage with each other a little bit, a million people is too big a community to engage. You can't say, ah, all the salespeople talk about me. No, no, they don't. No, there's no place where all the salespeople show up and talk. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they really don't. Um, they might complain with other salespeople in their industry or in their company, but... Yeah, no, no. There's no place where all million salespeople show up. There's no place where all million lawyers show up and hang out. So your strategy for reaching those people of having, saying, okay, this is someone who does not know my brand or probably doesn't have any sense of my consumer halo or we don't even have a consumer halo, there is a given strategy for how you reach out to those people. You can assume, potentially, unless you're one of the, I don't know, top three, 400 companies that everybody seems to know, you can assume a clean sheet of paper. 
You can assume that yes, they'll end up going to your Glassdoor page and going to your rating sites page and going to LinkedIn and seeing who they know and Googling your butt, but, 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 um, you know, language language is hilarious, but they start clean. And so when you reach out and you can get their attention, you start from a fairly clean position and you can go ahead and start to plant employer brand seeds, those positioning seeds, seeds that should pay out over and over and over again through the life cycle of this hire, you know, the entire candidate hire journey, depending on how you want to define it. Then um, honestly, if you do it right, it should pay out deep into actually working at that company. You know, you look at the uh, inf- infinity loop. Um, hey, look, infinity loop, the infinite and the infinite, infinity. Um, you know, the entire process of them working for you, they should be able to see. If you claim that you're all about work-life balance, you're all about supporting each other and working collaboratively to build a strong team, and it's all about, you know, it's all about we, not I, that should show up in their daily life every single day. Every time you put that poster up, every time you send that email out, every time you stick it on a, a hashtag, people say, yep, that's true. We're a we, not I kind of company, or we, not me kind of company. And when they finally decide to leave, they will say, yep, they, <laughs> I have a million proof points as to why that was a we, not me company. And for whatever reason, my needs have changed, but they are certainly that thing. And that starts with the recruiter. But when you have a finite pool of people you can talk to, when there are only 7,000 or 5,000, and and I'm starting with 5,000. It's a nice, safe number. There are plenty of jobs that there are only 5,000 people who do that thing. Not only are you working in a community level, a place where everybody probably is one degree separated from everybody else, if not you know, two degrees separated probably, but almost certainly a lot of one degree separations, right? Everybody kind of knows each other. Um, you know, and certainly the loudmouths, you know, people like me, you know, right, who know a lot of people, and I have like 6,000, 7,000 LinkedIn connections now, or followers, or whatever that number is, and, you know, I'm not saying I'm the guy who knows everything by any means. I'm just saying, look, I know a lot of people because I'm a loudmouth, and people tend to talk to me because I have a podcast and a newsletter and all that other stuff. I know a lot of people, so if somebody badmouths me or somebody said something bad about a company, it reaches me, there's a good chance it might reach other people. It might reach a lot of other people, like the company I mentioned early on. I'm not going to name that company. I'm not that much of a jackass. But there's another kind of wrinkle to this process when you're dealing with a finite talent pool. And that is, when you're talking to an infinite talent pool, it's very easy to presume that this person just exists in the ether. You might look at them and say, oh, they they are working, they're not working, whatever. But you kind of assume that they don't get talked to a lot. The recruiters aren't knocking on their door 24-7. By the way, if they're any good, they probably are. Um, that you don't have to know their background that well. You, you're approaching them as, as they can see you as a clean sheet of paper, but that you kind of see them as a clean sheet of paper. You don't know who they're connected to. You don't know. I mean, even if you look on LinkedIn, how much time are you really spending looking at every single one of their contacts? Even if you're doing the whole who do we know in common to get a sense of where they work? Even if you're listing all the way back 10 years of of, of you know, job history to say where they've worked and the kind of jobs they've done. Um, you're still just, it's someone. It's just a generic face and a name maybe and a title. But when you're dealing with finite talent pools, you have to walk in under the assumption that the person you're hiring is a, has to be poached. There's no way that you're going to find someone who is a diamond in the rough, someone who is in a great developer who just was in the wrong role working at a cash register, right? There's no one going to get discovered anymore. <laughs> We've all learned the lessons of personal branding and LinkedIn and, and Google have made all those things kind of 
almost impossible to find. Every once in a while, and recruiters will back me up on this one, I'm pretty sure, uh, I've heard it before, the, the days of finding the diamonds in the rough are, are almost gone. It's a very rare day that you find someone who doesn't realize their own value. Someone who isn't doing the job already. Someone where some of there's there's that presumes that you're the only recruiter to spot that person. And say, hey, that's not the role for you. You should be over here running our product team or whatever kind of weird star is born game we're about to play with talent, <laughs> right? But it's that it's that mentality of I'm going to go find someone who's you know sung to themselves and 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 sung in bathrooms but didn't realize that they were a star. Yeah, that doesn't happen. That's called a movie, and movies aren't real. Okay, folks, we all know that, right? If you build it, they will come with a line in a bad movie, right? Okay, some people thought it was a good movie. Fine. Those things, they aren't real. They aren't real. So when you're hunting for talent and you know it's a finite pool and it's a very well-established finite pool, there are only X number of people with, with um, security clearances. There's only Y number of people who are clinical researchers. You know exactly who you're talking to. You have to know that your strategy is a poaching strategy. You have to know not only are you going to say, we're a great place to work, you have to beat their current company. And chances are, Chances are, if it's a limited population and a limited finite pool of talent, they know who you are. They know someone who works for you. They know someone who used to work for you. So you have to work twice as hard to establish, because there's no clean sheet of paper, to establish why you're better. And on some weird level, recruiters and employer branders and all of our ilk do a fairly mediocre to bad job of making a clear choice obvious. Hey, you like X, we offer twice as much X as the company you're working for, come work for us because we know you love X. And of course, you really can't do that very easily because no one walks around with a sign on their head that says, you know what I'm all about? I'm all about personal opportunity. I'm all about freedom and responsibility. I'm all about status and I'm all about ego or I'm all about collaboration or I'm all about we versus me. I'm all about blah, blah, blah. I am all about this thing right? Maybe there's some clues in the kind of jobs they take or the kind of groups they subscribe to. You know, if you Facebook surf them, maybe you can look at some of the language they use. Maybe you can look at some of the groups they follow, both, you know, and, you know, entertainment and political, what have you. You get a sense of what they're all about. You get a sense of what they care about. But really, they, most people don't put a sign out like that. So it's very hard for you to, as a recruiter or as an employer brand professional to say, this is what you want. This is what we have the most of. But that is the reality. When you're dealing with a finite pool of talent, you're dealing with someone who currently has a job, who currently has a really good sense of their own personal options. And that's something we don't talk much about, right? If you are a lawyer, and I think we've touched on this a little bit here and there, but if you're a lawyer, I don't know, there's got to be a million companies who need lawyers, right? But if you have security clearance and you're an aerospace technician with security clearance, there's 20, 30, 40, 50 companies, maybe tops, that need someone like that. Consequently, you know all of them and they know all of you, right? <laughs> Very rough. You know, I've seen plenty of cases in our own industry where someone leaves a job, takes another job, and someone else I know takes that old job. And I'm like, it's, we're just playing musical chairs. We're just taking each other's jobs. We're just waiting for our friends to quit to go to a next job so we can take their jobs. It's really strange. 
But that's the truth. We know what those jobs are. If you're talking about a finite talent pool, they have a lot more information than average. They have a lot more information about you, about the people who work there, about what they like, what they don't like about it, than your average candidate which means you have to provide a better choice. But then again, if there's only a handful of companies that are looking for that person because there's a limited talent pool, you as a recruiter employee brander should be able to walk and say, I understand why someone works at company X. When they work for company X, what they're getting is you know, that sense of ego, that sense of prestige, that sense of, 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 of corporate responsibility, that sense of mission, right? The reason someone works at SpaceX is because they want to be a part of the team that goes to Mars. So when you walk up and say, I want to grab one of those very, 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 very hard to come by aerospace, aerospace technology, not Aerosmith guitarists, aerospace technologists, um, and that is a very different, speaking of limited pool population, there's only two or three of those. Um, you know, if you're trying to ta trying to reach that particular aerospace technician, ask, offering the money isn't really going to do it. They already know what they're worth. They already know what they can get at other companies. They've chosen that company because they want to be a part of the team that goes to Mars. So what the heck is it that you're going to offer? A bigger jet, right? What are you offering? What is the, the, the historical case that makes them say, yeah, yeah, Mars is going to happen with or without me, but man... No one's ever figured out the whole, how do we jet from New York to, to Tokyo in 12 minutes by crossing the space line and, and you know, going into the stratosphere? That's an interesting challenge and something where thousands and thousands of people every day might use my product or whatever it is I vent. That sounds like an interesting case. So if you're reaching out to a company like SpaceX where it's all about where you have this amazing challenge, this amazing purpose, you better bring your challenge and purpose game baby. You better bring it hard. You better have a whole case as to what you're building for the future. If you're trying to hire someone out of Goldman Sachs or a hedge fund, you do not have to, you, unless they're at the end of their life, you know, career span, they're thinking legacy, you don't walk up with save the world kind of mentality. You walk up with, if you're here to make a lot of money and impress everybody with how freaking smart you are, which by the way, is everybody who works in a hedge fund, you won't believe the offer I'm going to have where we are not, you're not just going to make a whole stack of cash. You are going to make everybody think you're a genius. You're going to be the Ray Dallo of whatever this thing is. You are going to write books. You will be the subject of podcasts. You will be interviewed till your head explodes because everybody will be fascinated by you. That's the kind of game you got to bring. And that happens because you have to walk in knowing you're poaching, which means you have to understand what they want, which is a guessing game based on where they are and what they've done. And you have to know that what you offer is better than what they're getting. Now, goodness me gracious, if that doesn't sound like employer branding, I don't know what does, right? We've been talking about what recruiters have to do, but when you take a half a step back and see it and put it in that kind of equation, it's absolutely employer brand's responsibility to think about that. And honestly, I think a finite talent pool is an amazing litmus test to how strong is your employer brand. We've talked a bit about this idea that if you had to reinvent your employer brand because of the, the, the pandemic, maybe you didn't have a great employer brand, maybe you just had a tagline, and that was me being a little glib, but the sentiment still seems to work. It's, you know, I, 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 there are places where it's like, yeah, okay, I could hedge that a little bit. I could back that up, back that off a little bit, but truly... That wasn't employer brand. That wasn't an EVP. That was just fashion, right? If, if it changes with the wind, if it changes with the times, that fast, it's fashion. Similar case here. If you're trying, if you think you have a strong employer brand, use it to hire the one of 
20 people who do that thing you need them to do and see how it plays. See how your brand stacks up to someone who knows their own company inside and out, who has a great, clear understanding as to why they work at that company and what they get. And it's, trust me, it ain't about stock value. It ain't about the salary, except the occasional 9% of the time when it is. Um, they, they want something. And you have to know that you walk in the door, you have better than they get right? That what you have to offer is better than what they have. Unfortunately, so much of recruiting is a game of Monty Hall, let's make a deal. And that just dated myself. Who's the new, uh, who's the standard, let's make a deal? It's Wayne Brady, right? That's, that's, that's who does let's make a deal now. You have a thing in your hand and you know that it's $1,000. And Wayne Brady's pointing to this curtain. Monty Hall's pointing to this curtain and says, I will trade you what's behind this curtain for what's in your hand. You know what's in your hand is $1,000. Is what's behind the curtain going to be a car or is it going to be a big rocking horse? What's it going to be? And the job of employer branding is to make it so that the curtain is transparent. You can't open the curtain. You can't actually put that person back there in that job to say, see, I, this is what it is. Now that you've worked here for six weeks, you get what, you know, the, you believe what I'm saying, that you understand the claims I'm making and you understand what's true and what's not. You understand what's authentic and what's a, you know, a bunch of polish and shine. You can't do that necessarily, but you can make that curtain as transparent as possible. You can say, look, I can show you that piece behind the curtain, that piece behind the curtain, that piece behind the curtain, and you're going to have to draw your own conclusions, but you can ask everybody in the audience that they can see through these holes in the curtains from their own perspective and see if it aligns up to what you are being told and what you seem to be seeing. It does change the game, and that is what you should be trying to do is to create as many holes in the curtain to show this is what it's like to be in the company. If you only show the holes through the curtain, and this is a metaphor that has taken way farther on than I thought it would, and this is when you just get on the pony and ride, if you start to think that your job is to put the holes in, you have to be judicious about where those holes are. Now, if you try to just cherry pick, oh, look, if it's a, if we want to tell you it's a car back here, we're going to put a hole in front of the uh, the logo of the car. Maybe it's a BMW. Maybe it's an Audi. Maybe it's a super high-end McLaren, right? You know, super expensive, hoity-toity, nice car. And maybe you put another hole by the tires, like, ooh, Pirelli, ooh. You know, these are nice things. You put another hole back here where the air spoiler is or the foil or whatever that thing is, the whale tail thingy. And you say, that's all you get. And you're like, oh, it must be a great sports car. And you pick what's behind the curtain and the curtain lifts and it's actually a junker that happens to have a nice set of tires on it. That's the problem is you get limited information about what's behind that curtain and you're being asked to make that choice. And consequently, we know that people are trying to trick us. We know people are invested in themselves, that their agenda is their own and not ours. And we know that they're making choices about what to show us that puts them in the best possible light, which is why, which is clearly why, one of the things I highly recommend we all do is to show more of the bad, to show the part of the car that isn't good, to say, look, yes, it's got a ding in it. Yes, it's got a mismatched panels, but to Tell you the truth, it's still a $40,000 car, $80,000 car, $140,000, whatever that car is. Show them that the value is infinitely better than what they have in their hand. And you do that by building credibility, which happens when you tell them, you know what, this is nice, this is nice, but this is the part that isn't so great, just so you know. You build your own brand's feeling of credibility and authenticity when you do that. 
And that is where you really put your employer brand to the test, is when there's a finite pool of talent, when there's only so many people and they all know each other and they all talk about each other and they know all the options and they know all the other companies they could be talking to about this role. It's not just, and that's the other part of it, the, the choice architecture here isn't just the option they have versus the option you're giving them because guess what? There's another recruiter online too giving them an option for curtain number three. And not to mention curtain number 17 and what's been that box, right? And what uh, the lovely whatever person is holding in their hands. The options are endless. So consequently, you're asking someone, especially in a, in a, in, when it is, comes to a finite talent pool, when you ask people to make a choice, you have to realize that they're making lots of different choices. They're making lots of different choices with deeply limited information, but at the same time, they also know exactly what they're losing to make that happen. And loss aversion is a huge driver, right, of make people making choices. People would absolutely not want to give up a $100,000 salary to get an $80,000 salary that has the potential to have a bonus of another $80,000. Because all they're going to think of is, I'm losing 20 grand because I, don't, I can't count on that bonus because I don't know what that bonus is. Right? I don't know how like, that's a, that's a crystal ball moment, right? And given the pandemic and given how everybody's etch-a-sketch model, the world just got flipped upside down and shaken, everybody's like, okay, everybody I thought, everything I thought was true is all up for grabs again. Nothing is real. Nothing is certain. Nothing is solid. Nothing is concrete. Entire industries are, seem to be going belly up as we speak, as we watch them in the space of weeks. You couldn't have thought of that in outside of a science fiction novel two months ago, right? You could not have considered that. So when you're offering, when you're thinking about finite talent pools, understand that your bar is much, much higher. But if you see that as a problem, I think you're, you know, I think that's the wrong approach. I think you see it as a test. How strong is your brand? Does it compete at that level? Because that is some of the highest levels you can compete at. And if you can compete there, not to quote too much from uh, uh, um, Sinatra, but if you can compete there, you can compete anywhere. And that's why I think finite brands or, or finite talent pools are so fascinating because it, it has a whole other set of circumstances that we don't normally consider when it comes to our employer brand, our recruiting and hiring. And I think you should definitely look for those, 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 those limited talent pools in your own company and say, where can I consider how strong my brand is and really test how strong your stuff is. All right, that's all I had for this week. Thanks so much for sharing, commenting, reviewing, all the good stuff you do. Uh, I will see you all next week. Uh, and 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 I'm okay. I'm going to go ahead and put the flag out. Next week, I will have an announcement, a significant announcement. I was going to do it this week, but I'm not 100% ready. So next week, announcement coming. Prepare yourselves. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter, at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash The War for Talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I'd pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week.
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.